0: Hey there, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the podcast. My name is Daniel Trinum and I will be your host as always. Before we get started with today's episode, I want to let you know of a few things of note. First, you may or may not be aware that I host another podcast called The Third Seat. The Third Seat is unrelated to the podcast you are listening to right now, but if you'd like to check it out, then I will put a link in the description of today's episode that you can use to listen to it. If you like this podcast, then I really think you will like The Third Seat as well, so I highly recommend you check it out. Next, I want to let you know of a few ways you can support the podcast. First, be sure to tell a friend if you enjoy the show. Word of mouth is not only a great way to help support the show, but it's also zero cost. Secondly, if you enjoy today's episode, then be sure to leave a five-star review wherever you get your podcast. Leaving a positive review is one of the best ways of not only supporting the show, but it also gives me direct feedback from you regarding how you feel about the show overall. I greatly appreciate if you decide to take the time to support the show in any of these ways. Finally, if you'd like to follow me or the show on social media, then feel free to check out the description of today's episode. Here you will find all affiliated and mentioned links, as well as how you can support the show online. As always, I want to thank you for tuning into and supporting the show. It really means a lot to me, and I hope you enjoyed today's episode as much as I enjoyed making it for you. Well, uh, there are many times where I find myself and I hear other individuals go on what is known a YouTube rabbit hole. Uh, And there have been many times where I found myself going down uh, those as well. And oftentimes I will find channels that I I see the individual or the, the person running the channel. I'm like, I would like to speak to that person. Uh, and I am fortunate enough today that I found, uh, you, uh, through a bit of a, I found your channel, uh, just one by happenstance. And I really, uh, got interested in what you do. And I am fortunate enough to get to speak to, uh, Matt beat also known as Mr. Beat today on today's interview. So Mr. Beat, thank you so much for being here
1: thank you for allowing me to be a guest.
0: <laughs> yeah, it is. It is great. It is uh, my pleasure. And I am I'm really looking forward to speaking with you today. So um, for those that may not be aware of you and, and what you do, just give a brief introduction of who you are, what you do, how you got to where you are and uh, what you what you got going on.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm a teacher. I uh, well, I spent 12 years teaching social studies um, in the classroom at various schools, uh, in the Kansas city area. Um, so that's where I'm from Kansas. Um, and I, uh, you know, from grade seven all the way up to 12th grade and, you know, teenagers aren't always the most excited about (laughs) social studies. So I, even some adults. Oh yeah, Yeah. Yeah. So I um early on realized I need to kind of do extra things to get like it was a really big mission of mine. It still is, obviously, to uh just get just kind of sort of manipulate people uh to learn, <laughs> like to uh, to to get them to learn history uh and they're not even realizing they're learning. Like uh and so when I was teaching eighth graders student teaching, I made my first educational video, but it wasn't the first time I made a video. I, I have a journalism background as well. I, I used to work at a TV station and I was in radio as well. That was my first degree, my first career. So I uh, kind of busted out some of those old skills and I made a educational video about the compromise of 1850. And uh, that's it was just something that was meant to be only for my students in the classroom. But then. Uh, strangely, uh, I like flash forward a couple of years later and, and teachers were, other teachers were playing my video that I had made only for my, you know, 150 kids. They were playing it to their kids. I'm like, wow, they're finding it useful too. That's pretty (laughs) flattering. And so that motivated me to make more of them. And, but for many years, it was just something that was, I only made videos that were curriculum based, which means it was, I had my teacher cap on So, which if, if, okay, that doesn't make it more clear, probably, uh, (laughs) basically that means like, I, it's something I made a video about topics that I knew that teachers had to teach in the classroom, try to, um, especially the more boring stuff. Like maybe this is something that's the book doesn't, the the textbook usually doesn't do a, a good enough job bringing to life. Um, and then I just started doing stuff that I wanted to do for fun. Like I was more like. I've always been into presidential elections and presidential history and political history. So I focused more on that. My and that's when my my channel started to just get an audience of just curious people in general. So uh not just Americans either, amazingly. So uh by the time I finished my presidential election series, which I, I did every single one chronologically leading up to the 2016 election, uh, that was when I was like, okay, I'm I'm actually starting to make a little bit of money too. I might take this even more seriously. And then, yeah, like I, it got, it kind of really started to take off in the last two or three years, I'd say since 2019. Uh, And and now I do it full time. I left the classroom last year and I still get to be a teacher just
0: to folks like you. (laughs) Does it, for you, does it feel kind of, because you recently hit 500,000 subscribers, is that correct? Yeah, yeah. Does it feel, like, surreal at all for you to, to? I mean, because you, when did you officially stop teaching, like, in the classroom?
1: Yeah, it was a year ago, like, last May. I told my students, I was like, I'm going to try this full time, and half of them were in shock, because people make the assumption, like, oh, your students must think you're cool. Like, <laughs> no, they didn't, like, <laughs> Overall, or maybe if they did, they kept it to themselves, but I uh, I, I had still had a hard time getting them excited. And so half of them were surprised, but then some of them were just like, really like, oh, yeah, this is it. Go for it. We understand because, you know, you feel bad. I did love teaching, but, um, you know, I, I still get that that uh, itch scratched by doing this. Uh, so, it, and I don't have to grade, so that's, <laughs> so that's a, and I don't have to deal with parents that, you know, are, uh, most parents are cool, but you know, how, the ones that kind of make the news don't have yeah. to deal with that. Uh, yeah. so yeah, I, I honestly, it, uh, I think it was one of the best decisions I ever made. And I, I'm now able to make more videos and out of curiosity, do you remember, uh, what was the first video you stumbled upon of mine?
0: Oh man. First video. <laughs> Um, I don't remember if it was, I I don't know which one was the first one, but I can tell you the one that I remember sticking out to me the most. So Mm -hmm. what I'll do oftentimes, I what I'll do whenever I'm at work, uh, is I'll either listen to music or I'll like put on a podcast or like a YouTube video and I'll just put my phone in my pocket and let it play like I'm listening to it. And yep. I remember I came across, I think it was your video about 10, 10 proposed amendments to the, the, to the rights or something like that. And I was like, that's interesting. Like, I've never, I've never heard anybody propose what they would add personally. And I was like, well, yeah. let's just, I was like, I just want to see what it is. And I had never, I mean, I'd heard some of them before, but like, I, I just thought it was really interesting. I mean, you uh, you definitely seem to have a passionate a passion about it. Um, and I thought it was really interesting and it just kind of started playing on autoplay. And I got to the end of the work day and I had listened to like 10 of your videos already and I was like, <laughs> well, I guess I'm I guess I'm just a fan of this guy now. So I mean, I would go in every day and just like look at your old videos and see which ones you had coming out and check out your your new ones. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I quickly became a fan. The, the thing the thing that really drew me to you, is one, you're very, you're very thorough, uh, with everything, at least from my standpoint, you're very thorough with everything you talk about. Um, but you, you do make it fun. Uh, you're very lighthearted about it, which I don't think is it, that doesn't seem to be the, uh, the perception of like social studies teachers or, or history professors, whenever you think of, you know, at least in my experience, like whenever I think of the classes I took in, you know, middle school and, and even some in high school, they, they weren't like my most exciting classes or the classes I was most excited for. Um, but you seem to have a real passion for it. And now I'm kind of retroactively learning neat things I never knew before. I'm, you know, ha- be, I'm relearning things that I'd already heard before. And uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I just, it's, it's been a blast. I really do. Uh, you know, it may not be for everybody, but I, I really love your content and think that it's great and it's educational all at the same time. So, yeah. I appreciate the kind
1: words. And I, but I, th- that last thing you just said, you know, it's not, it may not be for everybody. I, I want it to be for everyone. That's like my mission. Like my big mission in my life is to increase empathy and among us humans. And people forget like, it's not like we're going around like trying to, we're doing everything we can to save the planet for the sake of, I don't know, gophers. You know, like we're, you're not. Like, I
0: thought that's what I thought that's what we were doing. <laughs> like,
1: yeah, I know, right? Like everything we do, everything we strive to do, everything we argue about, and we get passionate, angry, whatever emotion it is—angry, sad, um, happy—even sometimes, um, it, it revolves around like our survival as a species. And when we talk about saving the planet, we're really just talking about saving it for us. And when we talk about, when I say, whenever I bring up empathy, I mean, it's empathy is only something that helps all of us. (laughs) Like uh, we've learned that the only reason why human beings have made it this long, which really isn't that long, about 250,000 years, give or take. uh, The reason why we made it this long is because we've, we've helped each other out. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's what I'm trying to tell with, these videos is like little and I, I know my niche is very narrow for the most part. I mostly cover American political history, <laughs> but sometimes I'll branch out and cause that's ultimately what is the big driver of, you know, I just want people to be kinder and understand each other. I, I find a lot of hate is rooted in people um, never meeting anyone different than themselves.
0: <laughs> yeah. So and the thing that I love that you put it that way because for me as you know i'm twenty two years old, I guess I'm still considered a, a quote unquote young person uh I don't know how long I can, I don't know how long long I, can, I don't know how long I can continue to say that, but people people still tell me I am, so I'll run with it but uh you know the thing that that like worries me about what I've seen just in today's world is kind of like what you're talking about is it seems like we don't tend to, uh, allow the chance to just hear from others, uh, you know, in an empathetic way, like you were talking about. And that was really the thing that struck me, uh, really piqued my interest about what you, uh, what you do is, you know, you'll dabble a little bit in, in history. You'll dabble a little bit in like current politics and things like that, but you do it from a very, uh, from a very objective and as as least biased position as you can. And even if you do have a bias, you'll you'll be very upfront about it. You know, yeah. uh, something I personally I hate is when someone will claim to, you know, say this is the objective truth, but really they're saying their own opinion. And and that's fine. You know, if you want like I'm a very opinionated person, but um, if you're not willing to admit your biases, that can lead to a very dangerous outcome. And I think it's very admirable uh but i think it's very appealing that you're willing to you know admit your biases whenever that's the case but also approach different topics uh whether it's historical or current from a very objective uh and factual standpoint you know
1: yeah i appreciate that as well because <clears throat> that's something i worry about all the time i uh literally everyone is biased so and yeah. we have to struggle with that but i think what helps is uh i do lean on experts a lot like i um and I tell the viewers a lot of times, like this is the um, this is the claim based on this. And I I always link my sources in my description on video. You can look this. So I, I I encourage my viewers to like you know do their own research on this in addition to what I'm telling you. But also a lot of my videos are just meant to be introductions to something. And it's amazing you said I was thorough. I don't think I'm that thorough. Like I have uh, YouTuber colleagues like. Uh, the channel knowing better. I've known him for a while. He's in the process now of basically making an hour and a half video. I mean, he just goes down a rabbit hole way down it. (laughs) (laughs) And I I find like, I'm a little bit, I guess maybe that's like, I know that I'm just, I'm not going to be around that long. So I want to learn as much as possible. And that's the best thing about history. Like some, some wise person once said, history is the quickest way to learn anything. And so, um, I, it allows me to research so many, like a, a diverse range of topics. So, and, cause I'm just a curious
0: person. I want to learn it all. So, yeah. So speaking of, uh, you know, something I've been wanting to ask you about one video of yours that did particularly pique my interest. And I, uh, this is something that I've actually thought a lot. I've, I've had opinions about it for a while, but I never really knew how to quantify it. Uh, but you, one of your few, and you even admit this in the video, one of your few, uh, videos that is like, very opinionated is your video about the Electoral College. And <laughs> yeah. I, when I found your, I love, I love, I, I mean, for one, I love that you were like, you know, from the beginning, you're like, this is one of my few videos where I'm going to be very harshly opinionated. Um, mm. But I thought you raised some really good points in that video. And I, I just wanted to ask you what, if you would care, just to expand a little bit about uh, your thoughts on the Electoral College, why you feel the way you do about it, uh, and what you think maybe it should be changed to.
1: Yeah, I, it's one of the few issues I'm passionate about. I, I'm actually not that passionate about most political issues, but uh, one of the biggest is um, voting reform. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, I, I uh, learned American history and American government probably similar in a similar way to you. I learned that we were a representative democracy. Uh, it's also a republic, which they're kind of the same thing. But we have a constitution that limits the power of government. But at the same time, we have representatives that vote on our behalf. We vote for the representatives. We hire them. We fire them. And they are held accountable to us. They are public servants. Like everything I just said should not be controversial Mm. to the vast majority of Americans. Like we all generally agree. We like representative democracy. um, And yet we don't have it (laughs) like it's not. uh, In fact, we. You could argue that there are periods of American history um, where we had more representative democracy than than today, and so the Electoral College is just something—it's an easy target um, Mm -hmm. that kind of proves, in my opinion, proves that we don't have a representative democracy. And the reason, one reason why um, it feels like a lot of us are just kind of shouting into the wind (laughs) and no one's hearing us, like, uh, is because of that, like. And it's complicated. There's a lot of issues, other issues. But if you just look at the Electoral College, it's just I I think it's one of the first things we can fix. And it's not easy to fix, like to change it because you have to change the Constitution. But I I believe firmly that I think a lot of us would agree on reforming it, at least to make it more representative. So, you know, it's funny because like even people that are really pro-Electoral College will agree with me like, yeah, we. I don't feel like I'm represented very yeah. well by my whoever senator or uh, congressman.
0: <laughs> yeah, well even at that I mean just looking at like I know it's it's different but I mean looking at uh like presidential elections you know like so I I'm I live in Tennessee I've grown I've lived here my entire life and it really does not make a single difference what my current political beliefs are whether it's red, yellow, blue, black, or white. It does not matter what it is because the odds are almost extremely overwhelmingly that in the current given political landscape that whoever the, uh, you know, the Republican uh, nominee is, is going to win. But the same thing can be said for other states. And so for, 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 you know, the Democratic Party. And so for me, it's like, I don't really feel like I am represented because whether I agree or disagree or have some other totally different opinion, it doesn't really matter because I can vote for whoever I want to. But the outcome is almost certain uh, even before the election happens. You know, now there's certain there's certain states that are swing states and, uh, you know, those are states are notorious for uh, having different individuals and different parties elected each year. But like, you know, states for like Tennessee on the Republican side and uh, you know, states like California on the Democratic side, it's it's pretty much a given from the get-go. And that's the kind of thing that frustrates me is it's like as a young person, I feel like I don't really have a way to make my opinion truly voiced through presidential elections because it's kind of (laughs) already it's kind of already decided for me, you know?
1: Yeah. And I'm not in a swing state either. Like so I, I understand. I actually, it's so funny that the current video I'm working on is uh, related to your state. Um, I'm doing really? a video. Yeah. It's a, it's a Supreme court. I also have a Supreme court series, which mm-hmm. you may be aware of, but it's a Supreme court brief episode about Br- Baker V Carr, which is a landmark case, which deals with uh, voter representation. And what's crazy is that before this Supreme court case, it used to be in Tennessee like they didn't change the congressional district maps for um, 60 years. They didn't change it. And so everybody was moving to the cities. Uh, it was becoming less rural of a state. So they're moving to Memphis and Knoxville and mm-hmm. Chattanooga and mm-hmm. Nashville. And yet they didn't change the district. So if you move to one of these four cities in Tennessee, your vote literally counted less uh, and that's why they the Supreme Court felt compelled to step in and say, "Hey, uh, every vote should be counted equally according to the Fourteenth Amendment." Blah blah blah. Yeah. And that's you know like that's amazing to me that it took the court to step in just to make sure that people felt like their vote, their voice. Again, their people felt like. I mean, why would you be motivated to vote at all if you felt like your voice wasn't really being heard? I get why people aren't motivated to vote in, in those situations.
0: Yeah. And, and I, I mean, I I feel almost bad because the thing that I always hear, uh, you know, going into presidential elections is, well, this right to vote is, is so precious. And it was fought for by individuals like you. You, It's your duty to go and vote. And to a degree, like I get that. It's, it's I, I know that in across the world and other in other societies, like it's not it's not a given that you're going to be able to make your voice heard. But at the same time, it's like you know, depending on where you live and where you're where you grow up at, it it really doesn't make a huge difference. You know, for me, it the for the foreseeable future, from what I can tell, it's probably the outcomes are probably pretty, pretty certain for the most part. And so it really doesn't make a huge difference on my, just, you know, me individually, what I think, whether I agree or disagree. and And that's kind of the disheartening thing to it. For you, I know that there's other different, uh, you know, suggestions. There, there's the uh, rank choice voting. There's there's star voting that I know that you're, uh, from mm-hmm. what I can tell, a, a big fan of. What would you recommend specifically about the electoral college uh, of how, of what, what, or what would you recommend to be a change uh, or a reform to it to make it what you would deem as you know better in the future?
1: Well. I mean, we could we could compromise and just make it like Maine and Nebraska. I think that's the first goal, um, because what Maine and Nebraska do, like, by the way, Maine and Nebraska, if you look at their governments historically, they've been very outside the box thinking. And I've always admired those two states in particular, Mm -hmm. Um, but they have uh, proportional representation by their congressional districts for the electoral votes. So. And that's why in 2020, you had one district um, that went for Biden and the rest went for Trump and Nebraska. And then in Maine, um, one district went for Trump and the rest went for Biden in Maine. And so they divide up their electoral votes. I think that's something that can make it feel like more people are having their voice heard, you know, because mm-hmm. like in Tennessee, there might be a chance that Memphis or um, Nashville would go the other way. Um, uh, so, if we get beyond that, obviously I want to get rid of the electoral college and replace it with some kind of, I think maybe it makes more sense to do some kind of proportional representation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that means like you look at the, they just take the percentage of all the votes of each state. And then, cause that's what they do in a lot of European countries and Australia. Like it's, and I actually plan on a video at some point also about proportional representation, because that's something I, I'd like to learn more about, and I have never made a video about. Um, do you know much about it? Proportional I, representation?
0: No, I, I actually do not. But from what it sounds like, uh, that definitely, that sounds intriguing, at least, to the, at the very least, it sounds uh, interesting to me.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a, there's different forms of it, obviously, but generally, like, you just kind of uh, look at the percentages of of the political parties that people voted for. And uh, then that's how they divvy up the who
0: gets in. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's a, that's an oversimplified way of saying it. <laughs> but, uh, is that something that's ever been implemented here in the United States before?
1: I think at the local level, but never. No, no not at the national or uh, I don't even think really state level, maybe. Maybe state level in some case, but no. it's Gotcha. But also, I don't know if you knew this, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of local governments that have that have ranked choice voting now. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? Uh, there's, even, there's even one uh, for Fargo, North Dakota has approval voting.
0: Oh, that's where my uncle lives. <laughs> that's funny. I didn't oh, know that.
1: Really? Yeah. 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 They yeah. Ask him about it sometime because it's a really unique thing. And I think they, in Fargo, they really like it because it, it makes voting really easy. Like, yeah, you have five candidates, you either approve them, approve of them or not. That's you feel like your vote counts a little bit more.
0: Yeah. And, and I think that's really important because I don't know for, for me, I see a lot of people my age and younger and in my generation, like there seems to be a lot of, uh, interests, like a lot of political interest in people, my age. And, you know, there's all kinds of different differing opinions, but if this, if there's not really a way to make your voice heard, unless you're living in like a swing state, it's just kind of, I don't know, it's kind of disheartening, you know, because, as I get older, I I have taken a a much uh, stronger interest interest in in matters like this. And I want to have discussions like this. And I want to make my voice heard in different ways. But it's kind of like, at least on the federal level, it's just not really an option for me right now. You know, at least I don't know, not everybody lives in Tennessee. um, And it's different for each state. But for the states that are kind of a given, you know, it's just like, well, there's not really much of a not really much of a way for anybody to really effectively make their voice heard, you know.
1: I mean, it changes, though. Look at Georgia. I
0: mean,
1: 10 years ago, no one would have predicted that Georgia would become a a blue state. And Mm -hmm. here we are. So,
0: yeah, Uh, something I want to ask you about. So you relatively, I think maybe in the past few months or so, you made a video about the uh, interstate system. And Mm -hmm. I learned something in that video that I genuinely up until watching that video thought was the case. Um, But I did not realize that it was not true that the interstates were built to have like military planes land on oh. them or they weren't <laughs> built like that or, or whatever, whatever I'm trying to say I, for my entire life. <laughs> I thought it was the case that part of the the point of the interstate highway system was so that if a military plane or if a commercial plane needed to land on it, it could. And for, a lo- for the longest time, you know, I've driven on the interstates before there would be like stretches that I would look at it and I'd be like, there's no way a plane could land on this. Like, There's trees <laughs> around it it or it's like curvy. Like I was like, there's no, there's no way a, a plane could land on this. And so I thought that was interesting. Are there any other like historical myths that you know of that like still to this day that you hear about, not just like necessarily like, oh, this, this person is just spreading lies about something, but like <laughs> things like that, that still to this day people think is the case or you know they it, it's a it's something that tends to permeate throughout history that you still see is the case today
1: yeah no, know th- there's a lot uh <laughs> i think cgp gray did a whole video on a bunch of them but uh the the washington ch- chopping down the cherry tree thing was made up uh so what's the story C- on that one uh well there was an author i think george washington carver no who was the author might have been him there i don't know uh, after George Washington died a few years after he died, there was a biography written about him that had that famous <laughs> story of him chopping down a cherry tree. And, uh, Oh yeah. He's gotten in trouble with his dad. He's like, did you chop down the cherry tree? Yeah. 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 Oh, I can't tell a lie. Yeah. yeah. It was me. That never happened. <laughs> there was no evidence that ever happened. He just made it up. But, um, that's one quick example. Um, also, I mean, something recently I made a video about is the more I dig into it, the the more I think the Ben Benjamin Franklin flying a kite to uh, discover how electricity works. I think that's all.
0: Yeah. Cool so, I, I saw you it said happened. it. So what, what's the what's the story on that? I'm curious about that one uh, that he went out to,
1: with a kite to try to get it struck by lightning. And, uh, you know, like. He had, I don't know, actually all the details. All I know is like kind of the historiography of it. And when it comes down to it, it it comes down to his personal account. And when you learn that how much he lied about stuff, how much he embellished things, especially, Mm -hmm. maybe there's some truth to it. But I just I'm skeptical of a lot of his own accounts of stuff, how they went down (laughs) when there's no corroboration, like no one else was there to witness it. You know, Mm -hmm. so I just
0: (laughs) That's funny. You, you never heard that
1: growing up, though the the kite story of Benjamin Franklin. Well, yeah. no,
0: I I've heard the story, but I never knew that yeah. there was any dispute about it. Like not necessarily being the case. Like I, I've I've heard that my whole life, you know that which <laughs> which seems like a you know when the more I think about it, it's like that does seem like a peculiar way to try and figure that out because. I don't know, but yeah, no, I've heard. <laughs> yeah. I feel like there probably would be a better way to figure that out, but then again, I'm I am no inventor of anything, so I'm not going to pretend like I would know. But no, I've heard that story numerous times. I mean, I've heard that my entire life, but I never knew if there was any dispute over the you know uh, the tr- truth truth or the factuality of it. I guess if that's a word. Well, the only one to ever bring it up was
1: Franklin, and it, it, like it was a he published it in his newspaper, and it's funny because like. No one. I mean, why would you question it? Because it does seem like sometimes it's r- something ridiculous. Like, why would someone make that up? But then you find out all the other ridiculous stuff he did make up. Yeah. So it's a bit of a hot take on my part because you don't see a lot of historians talking about it. Yeah. But
0: It's it is. Uh, I'm skeptical. <laughs> That's funny. Well, I, I welcome any and all hot takes. So I like it. Um, <laughs> so you also have a um, you have a second channel that called the Beat Goes On. Is that correct? yeah i recently found out about it and i watched uh i i am a a big pink floyd fan uh and so i recently watched the uh the video you had about pink floyd and i really enjoyed it um Uh but i have a question for you that i've I've never actually asked anyone this but i feel like you might have an answer for it so there is so you know the band metallica correct i'm assuming you know of them okay of course big big fan of metallica personally they have two albums called s and m1 and s and m2 Mm-hmm. And the, the premise of the album, it's a live album. And they play a lot of their hit songs from those different times when they released them. One was actually fairly recently, uh, but they played it with the like San Francisco Symphony Orchestra. It's a really it's really cool sounding. Even if, if you're listening and you're not a fan of Metallica, it's at least worth listening to. Because it's, it's very interesting hearing all the orchestral instruments going along with it. But ever since I listened to those, I got thinking... What would be a song or an album that I would want to hear with a orchestral back backing on it? And so, my question for you, which I'll give you some time to think, because I have a couple that I want to pitch to you and see what you think. But my question for you is: Do you have any songs or albums, not necessarily by Pink Floyd, uh, that you would w- would think would be interesting to hear with an orchestra backing it? Um, I know that's kind of a loaded question, but I'll give you two examples that may help jog your brain a little bit. One of them is but it's a more contemporary song it's by a band uh called black country new road have you ever heard of them before no but you may like them you may uh, they're really really good they're a relatively new uh indie rock band and they released an album this year called ants from up there and they have a song called basketball shoes on it it's the last song on the album and it's a very long song it's like 12 minutes long but like the entirety of the song is like this long crescendo until like the last three Mm -hmm. minutes of the song and the last three minutes is just so explosive and just just dynamic sounding and it's it's one of my favorite songs that has that has definitely come out this year i love it love it love it love it uh the other song which i'm sure you're probably gonna be familiar with this one is parts one and two of Shine On You Crazy Diamond by Pink Floyd. <laughs> those songs, those are also very long songs, if you especially if you listen to them both back to back, but yeah. they also kind of embody that like crescendo of things where it it builds up to this big moment and then it, you know, it hits the peak. And I I think that they would be I don't know how we're going to make that happen, but I think that would be really cool to hear those songs with, you know, all the all the bells and whistles of an orchestra behind it. And so do you have any songs that you can think of, of or like an album that you can think of that would be you would like to hear with an orchestra behind it? Uh well, if we're talking Pink Floyd, The Wall would be that would be my
1: first uh contender but yeah. Uh just because it kind of I feel like it would help tell the story better cuz the whole yeah. thing tells a story and
0: Yeah. That's but, one uh, of the best like storied albums. Like you really have to listen to it from from start to finish. To yeah. yeah. Which a is a long one. album, so it's it's oh <laughs> It's a long album, but it is—it definitely is a a great story album. Uh, As far as you mentioned crescendo,
1: I my favorite one of my favorite crescendo songs ever is uh, "Lightning Crashes" by Live. Um, So maybe that one would be uh, my my uh, contestant. Um, I'm also a big fan of Ben Folds, and I just want to give him a shout out because he did uh tour for a couple of years with the orchestra. He in, in fact at the Kennedy Center, um, he played a series of shows with uh it's just amazing. Like if you really look, it, I don't know if you're into that kind of music, but well I, I've never I've never heard of him before so I have to check him out. Oh wow yeah he's he's one of my favorite artists. I think he's one of the best songwriters of his generation which he's a little bit older but uh yeah Ben Folds and his his uh, old band was Ben Folds five is the name of his band but uh, he, he's a pianist and he plays the piano like a, like he, like the guitar, like he plays rock piano. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> so
0: the, you know, it's funny you bring up the piano. I've said this to individual people before, but I, so I am not the most musically gifted person. I tried to learn uh guitar a long while back. Uh, and I could play a few songs. The one, my one claim to fame is I could play hotel California all the way through. I was very proud of that. Uh, But that was kind of my one my one claim to fame with it. But I I never was great at it beyond that. Um, But I've always wanted to learn how to play the piano, not necessarily because like I'm in love with the piano, which I I do think it's a a great instrument. But have you ever seen anyone like walk up to a piano just in like a public setting? And they're just like, oh, this this old thing. And they just sit down and just bust out like a, a I don't know. I don't even know what it would be called. But like a line of music uh, on a piano and then just get up like it's nothing and walk. Have you ever seen somebody do that before?
1: Uh, I mean, yeah, I, I I have eight years of piano lessons myself. Like I, I, so yeah, like I, my band electric needle room, it's just my brother and I, he plays drums and my main instrument is keys. Uh, And if you've ever come across, uh, we have, well, actually it's just me on the recordings, but I have songs about all the presidents Yeah, and uh, that like, if you listen to all the, the parts it's mostly me playing my synthesizer, which is behind me. Um, But yeah, like I would say I'm rusty compared to how I used to be, but I used to play the class. I mean, you know, like I, I still could play bust out for release yeah. <laughs> by Beethoven. Yeah. Um, Baby elephant walk. There, there's just some things you just never forget. But, and then my, both my daughters are taking piano lessons and it's, you know, I, I do think it's a good instrument to learn. I strongly encourage you to do that. So, especially, because it's a gateway uh gateway instrument to other instruments like it helps you cuz i also played trumpet and guitar i mean tr- guitar is something that i think is uh something that is more easily like the old radiohead song anyone can play guitar it's it's true <laughs> like you just got to build up your calluses and yeah it's not like violin or something where it does you takes years and years before you get good at that
0: yeah um,
1: but yeah, I go for it again.
0: <laughs> I, I, I don't know. So here at, in Chattanooga, I, I went to university of Tennessee at Chattanooga go mocks. Um, and, uh, oh, oh, by the way, congratulations to your Kansas Jayhawks. I see you wearing your, your Kansas, uh, oh, yeah, uh over yeah. congratulations to them. They won the national championship this year. Thank you. Yes. It was amazing. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, um, yeah, right, my, my mocks got put out in the first round this year, but that's okay. Uh, but here at the university, they uh, at the university center. There's this like next to the cafeteria. There's this. Rant. I don't know why it's there, but there is a big grand piano. And like, people will just walk up to it sometimes and just bust out this like line of music. And I've always thought like, that's just the coolest person. I wish I could do that. I just walk up to it and just be like, oh, you know, I'm just, I'll just play something and walk off. Like, those are the coolest people in my mind. If I could, if I could do that, uh, you know, people always say, what do you want to, what do you want to do when you grow up? Like, that's what I want to, I want to be that person when I grow up, you know. it's <laughs> never too late. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned, you um, you mentioned the uh, songs that you made for presidents and I have listened to a couple of them and I, I I do, I do think they're, I do enjoy them. They're, they're funny, but one of the uh, one president in particular sticks out to me because you talk a lot about him and he's the, the president that you describe as, as the goat uh, George Washington (laughs) What, what is the, so I, I do also enjoy George Washington. I think he's a, he's a, he's a good man. I think he's done some good work in the past. Uh, I literally would not, would not be here. uh would not, without him, assuming, you know, he, no one else took his place, but um, what is like, what's your case for him being the, the best president? Because a lot of people, the traditional one that I always hear people talk to is Lincoln. Uh, there's a few kind of outliers here and there that other individuals will, will point to, but I, I don't hear a lot of people say George Washington. As weird as that sounds, uh, but I know that you're very passionate about George Washington being your favorite uh, president in history. What's your what's your case on George Washington?
1: I think it's mostly leadership. I mean, a good leader can unite a diverse range of people. And when Lincoln was alive, uh, obviously, he uh, there was a lot of people that hated him. Yeah. Um, somehow, even though. There were people. There were people like Thomas Jefferson and James Madison and George Mason. They like strongly disagreed with Washington's personal uh, opinions on on policies, you know, politics. They still just respected the heck out of him, and he was somebody who just could walk in a room and everybody respected him. Mm-hmm. And it, it's not just like a lot of people bring up, oh, well, he had kind of had mixed results on the battlefield as a general. Well, I mean, the odds were against him. Mm-hmm. Uh it was amazing he was able to do what he did. But I I focus more on when he was president because when he was president, he could quickly see the direction a democracy, a uh, representative democracy could go. Uh people were already bickering from day 1 in Congress and you know, it's like you forget uh the the, the big purpose and he never forgot that and we saw what happened after he died is, you know, the, we've been pretty divided throughout our history and it began after, after his death, really after he mm-hmm. left office, cause he was the glue that kind of, mm-hmm. and we would, we, we would have been, you're right. We would have been screwed if it weren't for him being there in the beginning.
0: Yeah. You taught, you mentioned just briefly, just the divide uh, in our nation and, I hear a lot of times people say, which I, I, it, it certainly seems that way, but I, I, I don't have any data points to back this up. But like, you know, I hear people say like, we've never been more divided than we are right now, which is a, if it's true, is a bold claim considering we did go through a civil war. Uh, but <laughs> uh, regardless, it's no hot take to say that to a certain degree we are pretty divided as a nation. The thing that 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 has troubled me for the longest time is especially since I've begun to get more interested in in politics, and, and now thanks to you, just American history, um, is that it seems a lot, of, in a lot of cases, individuals kind of put themselves in an echo chamber. They don't really ever allow themselves to hear just the other side, like, you know, not only the other side of an argument, but not even allow themselves to empathize with uh, the fact that Maybe somebody, even if somebody disagrees with them, that they're still a human being at the end of the day. You know, yeah. um, it, it really seems to me like it's so incredibly tribal today that whenever an issue is raised, without even thinking about what the issue is, it's immediately which side do I fall on? And uh, I'll say it again to me as a young person, uh, I, I don't know. That's very troubling to me because I obviously we are not in a great from a division standpoint, we're not in a great place. And I don't think that if we continue to, you know, stay as tribal as we are, that's going to help anything. What, what's, what's your take on on the current political landscape in that regard? And and do you have, what would you think would be a good way to, you know, ease some of these tensions that we currently see?
1: Well, you put it really well. I mean, it's, I would say that that we are living in the most divisive time in American history other than the, years leading up to the civil war and during the civil war but so that is scary um but yeah that it it, i think we something we need to teach early i think it comes down to education (laughs) obviously the teacher says that uh and we need to teach as early as elementary school um for kids like critical thinking Mm -hmm. and also and more more specifically media literacy like how do you know or in epistemology as well. Like, how do you know something is true? Um, How do you analyze information Mm -hmm. um, that's new information and how aware of you are of your own biases? Are you as regarding how you interpret that new information? And I actually plan on a series eventually uh, kind of going through media literacy because I feel like it's that important. Um, But until that happens, this will, this will continue because Uh, that's how we are a very consumer driven society. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that means uh, there's money to be made off mm-hmm. of, uh, no, yeah. us, uh, off of us hating each other. And, mm-hmm. uh, but also just, uh, arousal emotions, which that's what goes viral, like something that gets somebody, uh, excited. Um, or when they share it, like it's something like they're just, they're really passionate about it um it for them to share it so mm-hmm. and it is amazing how like i'll post a tweet or i'll tweet and it's just like literally a historical fact and um oh yeah i might get a few people like it and that's that's a win for me but <laughs> but then like further down the feed you'll have someone just they'll just straight up call a politician a piece of garbage mm-hmm. or whatever and then that gets like a million likes you know yeah yeah so that that is a, a quick way to kind of see the problem. Like that's uh you know, we I can't act, we can't expect people to get off social media. It's not mm-hmm. probably going to happen. But we can at least teach them how to analyze information so that they don't kind of fall for the traps.
0: Yeah. And, and you know, uh I was actually prior to this, uh I was watching or I was listening to to one of your videos on your second channel. Uh and it was about kind of what you alluded to a little bit i think the big thing really is is confirmation bias i think a lot of times it is not just like yeah i mean we're all going to be grow up in different areas of the country where there's certain biases geographically speaking you know um mm-hmm. but the thing that i see so often is like like you said there will be, you'll you'll say something that is a verifiable historical fact or, you know, or maybe a, a current, you know, fact or whatever it is. And, you know, if it doesn't fit the narrative of somebody that wants to, that wants to, you know, that, that is engaging in that conversation, in a conversation with you, they'll just disregard it altogether. But if it does fit, then it'll, you know, they'll, they'll accept <laughs> that fact and then they'll go on with their day. To me, that's a, a very scary thing because we're, part of, I think, if we're able to grow from periods, you know, like we did in, when after the Civil War, part of that is being able to kind of look ourselves in the mirror and look, look at ourselves in the mirror and reflect as a country, you know, what have we done correct? What have we done wrong? And if we don't allow ourselves to do that on a personal level as well, I mean, how can we expect any real meaningful change or progress to occur in the future? You know, uh, yeah. I know that de- that definition is different for everybody, but I think if you, I would imagine if you asked most Americans, regardless of what their political affiliations are, they would say there needs to be pro, like there needs to be change or there needs to be progress. However, they define that in the future. If we don't ever allow ourselves to acknowledge the kind of ugly parts of of the past and the present, how, we can't ever really make that change. You know. Yeah,
1: yeah. I uh, that's cool. You saw that. I'm assuming you're talking about the bull crap video, like yes, ways yeah, ways yeah. we fall for bullcrap. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like I uh I used to fall for bull crap all the time and I still do, even after mm-hmm. making that video. And so yeah. I think but that's being aware of it is like the whole point. Like mm-hmm. same thing when I made a video about logical fallacies. Um, like people would just assume like, oh, you think that you know you're so smart calling them out because this but but my point was like well, no, smart people do it too everybody does it and we just need to be aware of it. Um, and you mentioned echo chambers. I forgot to mention like one of my very first videos I made um, was about echo chambers. I think it. Um, it's probably, it's been probably eight or nine years since I made that video. And it's amazing if I probably go back and watch it, I'm it probably feels very like, like nothing has changed, <laughs> <laughs> you know? So it's kind of, in fact, it's probably got even gotten worse. Um, yeah. We just, and, you know, we we don't even realize this, but it is highly likely that what's driving a lot of the uh, the political narrative uh, or different political narratives in the United States right now are literally Russian bots. Mm-hmm. Like we we don't even realize we're probably like when you think of uh, a what whatever they're bringing up, whatever's trending, I should say, like. How much of that is actual, actually grassroots authentic, or how how much of that is astroturfed
0: from Russian bots? I bet you yeah. a lot of it is. <laughs> yeah, and and, so. and the the crazy thing is, like, you know, the there are the thing that I've seen as I've gotten older is the kind of outrage cycle from the public, depending on you know, <laughs> there's uh, depending on which side of the the aisle you, you fall on. It seems like, you know, there's always going to be like the, the the flavor of the month. Like each month, there's always a different. It, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, you know, uh, let's take, for example, like currently right now, a big, a big uh, issue that a lot of people are talking about is, is the everything going on with Roe v. Wade. And there is a legitimate conversation to be had around that. But I can almost guarantee that in a month or two months, all of this will be forgotten and something else will happen. And then we'll all find a reason to be at each other's throats. And then something else will happen a month after that. And we'll all find a different reason to be at each other's throats. And to me, I'm, I'll am i stand here and I'll be like, is anything really happening? Or are we just yelling at each other over different things? Like, is, is <laughs> anything, you know, it's like it's we, we just keep yeah. finding different things to, to yell at each other about when at the end of the day, we're just right back where we started, you know? Mm. And, and, and it yeah. kind of, I, I don't know, I, not that I have the perfect solution for this, but I I can definitely tell that what we're currently doing is not working. Uh, at least it seems to me from a civil standpoint, we're not really making any meaningful, uh, you know, progress in the in the realm of seeing each other as as humans and empathizing with one another, even despite our disagreements. You know,
1: I try not to interact with people on social media that all they do is call names. Like- yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like to talk about ideas and policies. And so that, that I kind of apply that also to I notice I've had more success talking with my family members. Uh, I, I was raised very conservative in a conservative household. Like and uh, actually some of my political beliefs kind of lean that way still. And I think that's deeply rooted in how mm-hmm. I was raised. But at the same time, like, uh, you know, like I'll have conversations with my dad who is very to the, the right of me, I would say. And the the, the way that we're able to like have a, a productive conversation is we don't attack each other, like calling each other names. Like yeah. we used to do that. We kind of both learned. And so we had actually really good conversations. Um, and we, we usually, it's like the latest conversation we had actually, we talked about, you know, healthcare and it's something, another important issue to me, even and he it does agree that there need to be reforms. We just kind of it's the details now we're trying to work out, you know? Mm. And, and it, I think that those are the conversations we should be having. And it's hard to have those uh, on, on social media. So yeah. maybe, maybe don't even maybe avoid it. On yeah. there.
0: <laughs> well, it's so easy. I mean, you know, digitally on a phone or a computer, like, you know, you, all you see is just a little picture of the person and it's so easy. I mean, I, I've done this before. Yeah. I'm not going to pretend like I am, Like, I'm immune to this, but like, it's so easy for someone to say something that maybe you disagree with or that angers you in some way, and you just, you know, fire off something and and send it back without even thinking about it. But in reality, I mean, you know, when you're standing face to face or even like similar to like what we're doing right now, I know we're not in the same room, but like when you see that person face to face, it's going to be a lot different. You're not, you're probably not going to blow up on that person like you would digitally because there's not really an immediate consequence to that. And, that I would agree. I think that what I've realized, and what I think more individuals will realize, is that if we can have these conversations, acknowledging that we all have biases, that we all are probably going to differ in in different ways on you know policies and what we think is important. The reality is that one, we're all human. You know, I, we're we're all affected by these things in in similar ways. But two, we probably have a lot more in common than we do uh, not in common. You know, political. Yeah. Ideal, you know, political and ideological, uh, you know, differences aside, like, we're all really similar. We all are, we're all human. We all, you know, the the same because we all bleed the same color red, like we're, we're all the same. And so mm-hmm. I don't know, I think that's an important aspect of it As as kind of fluffy as it sounds is to make sure that we understand that we're all human at the end of the day. We're not just because we may disagree on something, you know, we may have different ideas on something. That doesn't mean that we should be at each other's throats and, and trying to rip each other down because of it. If anything, that should be more reason for more healthy discussion. Like you were talking about.
1: Yeah. I, I think when it comes down to it, we all just want to be happy. And in my opinion, what what it takes to be happy is finding purpose um, in a community. Mm-hmm. So uh, you find a community first that you like that, accepts you for who you are. And then in that community, um, you play an important role, um, where the community needs you. And I think if we all find that, then there'd be a lot more happiness overall in the world. And as far as politics, well, remember what politics are, it's just, it's how power is distributed. Mm -hmm. And, and at some point, uh, we've decided as societies that we need people that have more power, uh, that kind of, you know, we'll handle stuff that we don't, you know, I just got done watching that movie. I don't know if it's from the nineties. It's, it's a Norm Macdonald movie called dirty work and it's mm-hmm. a silly movie. It's it's, have you heard of it? Probably not. I, I've heard of <laughs> McDonald, but I have not heard. I don't think I've heard of the movie. It's for free on YouTube right now. So check it, check it out, it out. anyway. Uh, but it's uh, that's what politicians do. Like people in government, they have, they do the dirty work that no one else wants to do. And so, you know, we, we probably should give them more, c- cut them more slack. I don't like when I'm on Twitter, actually, like you mentioned, like, uh, you know, getting angry and tweeting at people. I tend to do that more than anything with my representative, (laughs) (laughs) like, cause like, he'll just tweet out stuff that I just think is so harmful Mm -hmm. for our society. And so I'll just like But at the same time, I kind of feel bad because I I mean, it's not it's never anything I wouldn't say to his face. I would say everything I tweeted him to his face. So that what you brought up is an important point. That is important. Yeah. But that said, like, you still got to be respectful because they have a hard job. Yeah, it's. And, um, you know, so whenever I do have a I know tone is hard on the online. They don't see they don't hear the tone. They also don't see you like body language. There's no body language. Mm -hmm. So it may come across as rude. But yeah, if you ever come across a politician in person, I think you should speak with them in a respectful manner. And as with anybody, like you said, anybody, it's not productive at all. If we're just immediately jumping like personal attacks.
0: Yeah. For for me, what I've seen is I think a good just baseline, whether you're talking to anybody about, anything whether it's political or not is if you realize that or maybe going into a conversation you realize that you probably are going to disagree with somebody about whatever topic you're talking about it's important to not if you're going to go on the offensive if you want to call it that like you know if, if you're trying to point out maybe like oh they say they say a but you say b uh i think it's important not to attack that individual as a person you know because yeah. like if you say hey we should do this and i think we should do this instead but if i call you you know uh, just like a scumbag in the process. It's like, well, you forgot you've, you have forgotten everything I've just said. You're not going to listen to anything I have to say beyond that, because I've just <laughs> attacked you as an, as an individual. It doesn't matter what I said at, you yeah. know, from a political standpoint, if I'm tearing you down as a person, why are you going to listen to me? You know? Uh, and, and I think that's important because so often what I'll see is somebody will online and in, and in person is, somebody will, you know, share an opinion of theirs and somebody will say, well, I don't agree with that. And I hate you because of that. Like they'll, they'll immediately just, just X that person off. Like they're just not worth the time of day. And the, how can we expect any meaningful, uh, conversation or any meaningful dialogue to occur from that? We, we really can't, we shouldn't be surprised that it doesn't occur from that, you know? Yeah. It's something
1: that, I thought we all learned when we were little kids, (laughs) but we forget we're humans. We make mistakes. We get emotional. And that's another thing. It's like, it's what's driving us more than anything. Uh, uh, Actually, there's a good author that did a whole book, wrote a whole book about this. Uh, Jonathan height is his name, Mm -hmm. but have
0: you heard of him? Yeah. I know Jonathan height is. Yeah. I've, I've wanted to read some of his books, but I just haven't, haven't gotten onto it yet.
1: Yeah. I mean, his whole big thesis was that, uh, Emotions drive everything like we th- we think we're rational, but we're not. And so when if that really is the case, then we should probably make more effort on making someone just feel good, like and then earning their trust and knowing that we letting them know we do respect them as a human being. Mm-hmm. And before we start talking about the stuff that um, can challenge identity, I have another video actually about why we get so upset when we talk about politics and religion and and Mm -hmm. Long story short, it's just, it's identity. We feel like our own identity is, is under threat. Yeah. And that's why we get so mad.
0: Yeah, no, I I agree. And I think I hope that there's more productive conversations around this in the future, but you know, who will, who knows? We'll, we'll see what happens. But um, you mentioned Jonathan Haidt um, and he's written uh, I I don't know how many books he's written. I've, I've wanted to check out some of his books, but in the past few, I'll say, so (laughs) So I didn't read a lot growing up, uh, like for fun. I guess I'll could, I'll put it that way. The, the story I always tell is the only books I ever read for fun growing up were the Magic Treehouse books and the Diary of a Wimpy Kid books. And I thought they were like the greatest <laughs> things on the planet Earth. Um, I didn't read a whole lot growing up. But here in the past few years or so, partly due to the due to the pandemic when we had nothing going on and I just was in my house all day um I I decided to I wanted to make a a more conscious effort to begin reading more and uh newsflash for anybody that's listening books are pretty cool uh I see you have a pretty (laughs) a pretty extensive book collection behind you what are what are some of your uh like favorite historical but not not necessarily like you know historical texts but like uh books about you know maybe american or even international history that you would recommend because i'm a big non-fiction person i've been trying to get more into fiction and I- i've read some so far i'm currently reading a book about uh, the life of jimmy hendrix um oh yeah it's been really good so far but um what are some of the uh like historical book or maybe not just just books in general that you personally enjoy and and uh some favorites of yours
1: yeah. I mean, I, I get asked this question a lot. I actually don't read that much myself, honestly, in terms of books. I know that's hard, hard like embarrassing to admit, but I, I mainly read articles like mm. uh, sometimes they're really long articles if that's any oh, yeah. consolation. <laughs> yeah. So, but uh, as far as history books, um, like I, a lot of the, the books I read when I was in grad school. Um, so I, I got a master's in history. And so, I did learn a lot about actually um, there's a, a book called uh, the rise and fall of the new deal, um, new deal order. Mm-hmm. That was a, uh, it's about FDR and that actually got me changed like that. It was a big reason why I changed my opinion about Franklin mm-hmm. Roosevelt. Uh, there's another book that uh, I read in grad school that is called railroaded by Richard white. Um, who's a great, historian and it um I always tell people you know um, when we talk about political discourse and political history you know you, there's generally two major beliefs that come up uh there's people that are angry and frustrated with uh the government like the government messed up so they're we want to weaken the government's power then there's another camp that says, um, no, 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 man! It's not the government. It's it's corporations like monopolists or plutocrats. You know, mm-hmm. uh, we got to reduce their power. And so, Railroaded is a book that um, basically says it's both. <laughs> <laughs> it's both. It, it's both. And it, and if you look at it, made me realize that all of American history that's been it's collusion between governments and corporations. Mm-hmm. And so, like, it's almost funny because like it sums up so much of world history in terms of you know people in power like it when most of us hate each other and we're divided like they like it because they get to st- stay in power and they don't get blamed um, or if they get blamed They're only blamed by half the population yeah so they're not blamed by everybody yeah <laughs> and so if we were just uh maybe if everybody were to read that book they would realize oh wait why are we all mad at each other we should be mad we should it's i always bring up the analogy like you know we're all uh, arguing sideways when we should be arguing, looking up, <laughs> you know, look up, look up. Yeah. Who's above us. They're the ones we should be yelling, yeah. yelling at, but uh, there's a bunch of other, another one, uh, the age of fracture by Daniel Rogers. I just mm-hmm. pulled it up because I always forget his name. That's a, that explains I, I bring a lot of these books up because this, the, these are books that are related to what our conversation has talked about this last hour, by the way, yeah. like, that's that's about how how, how se- segmented as a society we've been. You're 22 years old, so it's this has all happened literally in your lifetime. Mm-hmm. Where when before you were born and to, before 2000, which was the year I graduated, by the way, that <laughs> we had most people were on the same re- in the same reality. Like mm-hmm. they because you know you only had a handful of networks that um, controlled narratives. You only mm-hmm. had uh, this is the internet was still a new thing. Um, in fact, I didn't even get it high speed internet at all until 2000. Um, <laughs> it was high speed. It wasn't even that fast. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, like that just shows you how, um, how people can hear about Mr. Beast and love Mr. Beast and have no idea who Mr. Beat is, but then you have somebody literally like a next door neighbor, be a fan of mr Beats, but never heard of mr beast <laughs> that's that's the age of fracture like we're all in our own little little bubbles yeah we're, that's why we're so fragmented as a society
0: yeah no i have to check that one out for sure I, I i think i've heard of that one but i have certainly not read it um so on this topic of books i i want to tell you about one that i i'm sure you're aware of the story but i want the okay. book that i read and then after i asked i want to ask a bit of a favor of you to see, but you don't, you don't have to go through this, but I'm curious. So one of my favorite books is the book by Edward Snowden permanent record. It, I mm. I, I don't know if you've read it, but it is a very, it's, it's, it's basically might as well be an autobiography, but it's a, it's obviously the story of everything that of his life leading up until uh, his, his uh, whistleblow leak of the NSA and everything that was going on with that. And it was partly really interesting to me because I was alive when all that happened, but I was too young to really care or know what, what was going on, you know? Um, But looking back, it was a really cool way to kind of learn about all that. And so for one, if you haven't read it, uh, you and whoever is listening, if you haven't read it, it's a great book, go check it out. Um, But also my favorite to you is, is twofold. I want to know if you will ever consider making a Edward Snowden slash whistleblower video and two, I want to offer up a second video topic for you that I think you may be interested in. Um, I recently finished reading a book by Malcolm Gladwell called Talking to Strangers. It's a great book. I love, he's a one of my favorite authors. Um, but in the book, he talks about this lady named Anna Montez. You can look it up if you want, but she was an employee. I don't know if you've, if you've heard about her, but she was an employee of the CIA for years and years and years and years. And it turns out like so at the, t- at the time she was considered like the go to individual if there was ever anything going on with Cuba, like if there's any, any, you know, uh, like issue going on with Cuba or something that the CIA needed to be involved with Cuba or, or whatever. She was like the individual that they would go to if they needed to uh, get information or whatever. Well, it turns out that the entire time she was a Cuban spy, she was relaying information mm. back to Havana she was, you know, going back and forth. And the whole chapter in that book was about how nobody ever realized that she was a Cuban spy. And so I wanted to ask you one, if since uh, since I've got you here, if you would ever consider doing an Edward Snowden slash whistleblower video. But also I wanted to tell you about Anna Montez because I think her story is very interesting and just the implications of it. And, you know, you can take with that however, however you please.
1: Yeah, no, that's that's a great suggestion. I I almost feel like I'm a big Edward Stone fan, by the way. I just <laughs> me as well. <laughs> yeah, so I have never read the book. I'll have to check it out. It's great. It really is. It's, it's great. I, I feel like his story is not done yet. I feel like there's much more to his story, so mm-hmm. I, I want to wait before I. That's but fine. I do. You're not the first person. Literally, my one of my good friends. I I played tennis with him the other day. Literally. When I saw him, well, this was on Friday, two days ago, he said you should make a whistleblower video. Mm-hmm. And so that was so weird that you say that. So I'm, <laughs> I may have to really up that priority. Um, I do have a video about a Supreme Court case video about New York Times versus the United States, which yeah. is about uh, the Pentagon Papers. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this other book, you said Talking to Strangers, that's the one that features the, uh, what's her name again?
0: So the book itself is not about this lady. There's a chapter dedicated to her, but the book is called Talking to Strangers. It's by Malcolm Gladwell, which I've read three of his books so far. They're all fantastic. One that you may like is called, well, I think you'll like all of them, but particularly you, is his most recent one called The Bomber Mafia. It's very, very interesting. Highly recommended if if you're at all curious. But uh, her name is Anna Montez, A-N-A, and her last name is M-O-N-T-E-S. But she was this Cuban spy that for years and years and years and years that nobody ever knew she was a Cuban spy. And I just thought it was very interesting. Something I had mm-hmm. never heard about until I read that book. And um, yeah, yeah, I just figured I'd let you know about that. If that's something that you might at all ever be interested in making a video about. Yeah. That's another great idea. I didn't know about her. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, anyways, that is, that is my favorite. I'm glad to know that I'm not the only one that hasn't asked about a whistleblower video. So that, that makes me, makes me, uh, <laughs> excited to see one in the future. Uh, one more thing I want to ask you, and this is, <laughs> this is a bit, uh, so I'm assuming my dad is going to hear this. And so this is a little bit, uh, for him, but I, a bit of a story that I want to tell you, and then I have a question to go along with it. So it was after I finished high school, uh, my dad and I went to New York just as like a little cel- celebratory trip. Uh, I went to New York and we, and I know he's, if he's listening, he knows where the story is going, but we went and ate at a restaurant called, I think it was called planet Hollywood, I believe. And it was a great restaurant. And inside the restaurant, there was like these TVs all around. There was like memorabilia from movies and stuff. And, uh, you know, all kinds of stuff. And there was, there's TVs with like a, A slide projector of celebrities that had come there, Mm -hmm. and one of them, and I tried to wear my T-shirt to show it. But one of them was Buzz Aldrin. He came uh, to that to that particular restaurant and ate, and they took a picture with him. Buzz Aldrin is one of the astronauts that landed on the moon, um, very famous for obvious reasons. So as we were sitting there, I I looked at my dad and I said, "Dad, I have a question." And he's like, "What's up?" And I said, "Did Buzz Aldrin like ever do anything else? Like, did he ever?" (laughs) <laughs> did he ever do anything pro- like after that? And he looked at me and he was like, What do you mean? Did he do anything else? He landed on the freaking moon. And I was like, Well, I was like, That's that's not what I mean. Like, not to diminish his moon landing, but I was curious, like, did he do anything after or before that? And so he gave me a hard time about it. He still to this day does. He even got me a Buzz Aldrin t-shirt. I was gonna try and find it, I don't know where it's at, but it's got his face on it and it says Buzz. Uh, but my question for you is. Did but did Buzz Aldrin ever do anything else? Do you know if he did? I'm 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 curious. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> did you ever check just the Wikipedia page? Like, well, the thing that I did learn one thing. I didn't. He was. I think he was in the Air Force, which I learned that, and I was like, and when I but found out, that,
1: that was out, before, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, but like, but still, you know, I I, I was curious about before or after. Like, I, all I ever knew him from was landing on the moon, which. You know, is a big deal, not to discredit that, but I was always curious, like, did he do <laughs> anything else, you know? And oh, it looks like he has written a couple autobiographies. So okay. Well, there see he's an author. I, so you know, my
1: whole life, he's been just he's been retired. Like, yeah. uh, you know, my uh and he does he's very visible, unlike some of the other astronauts, like who are more private, like he's he's never hesitated from the spotlight. Um, so if you look at the list of appearances he's made, I bet you it's numbers in the thousands. Yeah. Um, so yeah you can kind of ride that out I mean it's like a it's like Rick Astley right with his yeah. uh, <laughs> never going to give you up one yeah. hit wonder he kind of when you have something great you just ride it out the rest of your life so.
0: yeah <laughs> that's funny well see that that was my question I was like I, I've known about him for the moon landing but I'm sure he did other things like I just wanted to know you know but he he's always to this day still gives me a hard time about it so um yeah and dad if you're listening i hope i hope you you know that i'm i'm not the only one that didn't know other things about buzz aldrin so anyways uh, <laughs> but uh before we wrap up here i know you said you got some other things you need to take care of so i don't want to keep you too long but uh first and foremost thank you for for doing this it's been a pleasure speaking with you uh it was a ple- it's been a pleasure meeting you and, and chatting with you I know originally when we uh, you know, talked about this, I had proposed coming out to Kansas and someday I'd still like to come out there and, and yeah, hang could. out with you sometime and, and do this again in the future. Uh, I've also never been to Kansas, so I've, I'd like to see it sometime and see if it's truly flatter than a pancake from what I hear. Um, <laughs> but before we go, uh, a little bit of a closing tradition with the podcast so far is I like to end things on a bit of a different note and do 15 quick questions with each of my guests. And so I'm going to ask you 15 quick questions. They're all going to be this or that uh, questions. And so I just want you to give me your off the cuff, straight, like what's your, what your feeling is uh, about these questions and I'll see how you feel about them. So that sound good to you? Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. All right, here we go. Here's 15 quick questions with Mr. Beat, Dr. Dre or Snoop Dogg? dr dre pineapple on pizza yes or no no <laughs> oh, disco or rock and roll rock and roll who would win in a dance battle alexander hamilton or aaron burr aaron burr <laughs> uh waffles or pancakes oh wow that's a tough
1: one uh tie, tie. Uh, uh, both okay okay i'm leaning a little bit towards waffles though
0: Okay, good. Okay, that's that's what I wanted to hear. Uh, do you pour cereal then milk, or do you do milk then cereal? Cereal then milk.
1: Who the heck does the who does milk first? Those crazy people. I've, I've
0: heard of some people that do it. Uh, horror movies, yes or no? Yes, but
1: unfortunately, Mrs. Beat doesn't like them. Oh, come on, Mrs. Beat. Uh, guacamole or salsa? Uh, guac. Yeah uh let's see
0: east coast versus west coast
1: oh man i love california so much and oregon and washington but east coast has the advantage because of history historical places
0: yeah uh sweet or savory uh savory sunrise or sunset sunrise Uh, i agree nice um Mm -hmm. I think I might know the answer to this one, but this is this is a kind of a lengthy one. Dark Side of the Moon, Animals, Wish You Were Here, or The Wall. <laughs> I'm so sorry, but Dark Side of the Moon. It's that's my favorite. I, it's just so I think it, it's more accessible. You know, it's not yeah. as long and. Well, you were talking about the wall earlier, so I was like, maybe he, maybe he's more of a wall guy. So I was, I was curious about yeah, that.
1: Yeah, I, I'm still mad at, <coughs> I, you know that uh, the wall. Ha- I, I think
0: there's some filler on there that shouldn't yeah. be. They could have
1: leaned it down a little bit. (laughs) Yeah,
0: no, I got you. Who would win in a foot race? Luke Skywalker or Darth Vader? Uh, (laughs) Luke Skywalker, I guess. (laughs) And then the final question I ask this to everybody, would you rather fight one horse-sized duck or a hundred duck-sized horses? (laughs) And I I want to hear your rationale for this as well. I think my
1: daughter asked me this once. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I think one horse size duck, because, you know, like it's just, I can keep, I can focus in on it, you know, and (laughs) I'm going to be overwhelmed. Yeah. Yeah. That I get overwhelmed and you know, I'm still fairly quick, you know, I'm spry,
0: (laughs) (laughs) So I can, I can get away. I like it. I like it. Awesome. Well, thank you for answering my, my 15 quick questions. As I was reading them off my phone, I realized I asked the pineapple on pizza question or I had it written down twice. So I had to I had to make one up on, on the fly, but we made it to 15, I believe. So oh, good job. Uh, anyways, <laughs> uh, thank you again for doing this. It's been a, a pleasure speaking with you. I hope we can stay in contact and I'd love to meet you in the future sometime and, and do this again. But before we uh, head off, is there? I, I want to give you the floor. If there's anything you've got working uh, currently in the background or anything uh, you're doing, uh, anybody you want to give a shout out to, anything like that, um, the floor is yours. So yeah, take it away, Mr. Beat.
1: Thanks for having me. It's great to meet you as well. Let me know if you're ever out in Kansas. I'll I'll show you around. Uh, Yeah. Shout out to Mrs. Beat always because she's like (laughs) a big reason why I'm successful. And, uh, you know, just, I guess, man, watch my videos if you want to. (laughs) <laughs> you don't have to.
0: <laughs> and so you're. I know you're on uh YouTube as uh, just Mr. Beat, uh, and you're on Instagram as well as I. I am Mr. Beat. Are you on any other social medias or anything like that?
1: I, I got a TikTok now. So oh, uh, nice. And, yeah. If you when you search when you Google Mr. Beat, Mr. Beast will pop up. Yeah. So that's not me. <laughs> he, he's a little bit more successful. Yeah. So it's just Mr. Beats. B E A T, like beat a drum. So. nice
0: i like it all right well i will make sure to put uh all the links and everything do you have you have a website as well correct yeah Yeah. i am (laughs) mrbeat.com well i will put all the links to those down in the description uh of this episode and so if anybody wants to check them out then feel free to head down there and give them a follow and uh follow along with mr beat and everything he's got going on but uh yeah thank you again for doing this it's been a a pleasure speaking with you and. yeah, I just uh, I'm very thankful that you took a little bit of time to speak with me. And hopefully we can if you're ever in Chattanooga, by the way, uh, if you're ever in Chattanooga or in East Tennessee, let me know and I'll, I'll give you the tour. Uh, we got some some pretty cool stuff going on down here as well. So it's a uh, have you ever been to Chattanooga? I'm curious.
1: When I was a kid, uh, I flew in there when I went to the Atlanta uh, Olympics. So 96, I was there briefly. Wow. Uh, it's a lot of mountains. My friend used to live there, too. He said he lived on a steep hill. Uh, so not flat as a pancake. That yeah. yeah. Also, no, Ge- geography king the youtuber uh he lives in chattanooga so shout out to him he's a great guy really
0: i didn't i've <laughs> yeah, never heard look of him up i'll have to check him out yeah. um but yeah the thing down here that we're known for is is the river and there's a big there's a giant like freshwater aquarium down here so if you're ever down to check that out yeah. it's a it's a good time so um okay. But anyways yeah thank you again uh i'd love to keep in touch and, and speak with you in the future but yeah thank you so much and uh thank you all for listening uh we'll catch you on the next episode bye everybody
1: bye thanks
0: Thanks for tuning into this episode of the podcast. As one final reminder, if you'd like to support the show, then don't forget to rate and review the show wherever you get your podcast or share it with a friend. If you'd like to check out any links that were mentioned during the show or follow the show or myself on social media, then feel free to head to the description of today's episode to find these links. As always, thank you again for checking out today's episode, and I really hope you enjoyed it. I will catch you all on the next episode of the podcast. See ya!